Hey everyone, welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. Sean, how are you doing? Hey man, good to hear your voice. I hear you're getting over your cold. Yeah, getting there. Getting there. Um, yeah, and we're gonna, as always, we're going to talk about two episodes of Batman the Animated Series. So uh, let's jump right into it. The Man Who Killed Batman, written by Paul Dini, directed by Bruce Timm. And in this one, when a small-time gang member, Sidney the Squid Debris, played by Matt Frewer, (laughs) seemingly kills Batman by accident, he gets involved with gangs all over Gotham, as well as the Joker and Rupert Thorne, none of whom believe his story that everything that is happening is by preposterous preposterous happenstance. Um, You know... The thing that really stood out to me in this one is this is this one and the next one. It's like mm-hmm. three episodes in a row where Batman makes really questionable uh, decisions as far as like <laughs> uh, strategy goes. Because um, I, 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 you know, I uh, I thought this one was really good. I like this one a lot. But when you look at it from the Batman standpoint, Batman's mm-hmm. just like, I'm gonna fake my death, and I'm just gonna hang back and possibly let this guy get killed multiple times. Uh, yeah. Before I figure out it was Rupert Thorne, the only other guy in Gotham it could have been. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much feel the same way. I've, I've always liked this one. It's a very Paul Dini style script where you take like a regular guy, or even like a loser, and you throw him into Gotham and see what happens. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, Batman had to be just sort of as he was tailing Sid the Squid, he had to be ready to pounce at any given time because this guy's life was in danger a handful of times. And Batman seemingly just kind of let him walk into danger just to see how it was going to play out. <laughs> yeah. Even to the point where he was drowning in acid, and that's what yes. Batman decides. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how he managed to get him out of there. I, that's That answer that yeah. brings up a lot of other questions. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 you know, that kind of stuff aside, I like this one a lot. It, it, it followed the trend of Paul Dini, I mean, to no surprise, really, writing Mm -hmm. the best joker episodes yeah because um not actually i i I had my head down when the credits were going so i didn't even see that this was written by paul dini and i looked it up uh after dini shows uh, sorry after the joker shows up and he puts his hand out and he's got the little needle sticking out of his hand right i was like that's (laughs) <laughs> more um uh malicious than the joker usually is from other people that's actually dangerous <laughs> that feels like a paul dini thing and of course it was him brutal it's a it, it yeah i mean uh yeah he accidentally has like a needle in his hand oh sorry yeah. for that habit yeah. i mean i think this might be one of the best joker episodes because you get to see uh like if if Batman's out of the picture, you don't see a Joker that's celebratory. You see him skeptical, right. and then you see him upset, and then you see him sad. And then, I mean, it's crazy. Um, and the, there's really one line in there that when Joker says, "Without Batman, crime has no punchline," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that is absolutely brilliant. That is Joker in one sentence, and that's definitely the line that I think of when I when I sit down to write Batman or write the Joker, at least. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I was thinking that too when when uh, when it got into that stuff. It, it very much felt like uh, you know. You and I have talked about the Joker a lot, and it sounds like uh, that that is the core of where your approach comes from, definitely. Yeah, 
I mean, I've always thought that it made sense that Joker saw Batman as a toy, like a plaything. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as he thinks he wants to beat Batman and rule Gotham, whatever that means, he really just kind of wants the game to go on. And he, there's even a line here where Joker sort of, he's robbing a jewelry store and he's like, he should have been here by now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Like, I run around, I break some crime, Batman shows up, and then we do it all again. Or something like that, you know? Yeah, I actually, that scene was really great. Um Oh, yeah, I think overall it's probably the best Joker episode they've done, but th- that scene was really great. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember if that's the same scene as when he says without Batman. Is it the same scene where he says Bat- without Batman, the joke, uh, yeah, crime is the punchline? Yeah, yeah, I think that one line is at the end of that scene. And the other thing I loved about that scene is he actively stops Harley from taking a bunch of... Well, very actively, like punches yeah. her and sends her flying across the place. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Not a relationship to aspire to, people. Uh, right. Uh, but he stops her from taking stuff, and they just, they just like, I love how they casually walk out of there uh, mm-hmm. after he set off the laughing gas thing. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. there's, the Joker is not about getting money. He's about mm-hmm. fucking with Batman, and, and it's about, like you said, it's about the game with him. And I th- th- right. that's, that stuff was really, really great, and I was uh, yeah. it's really happy to see them get into that stuff. Right, yeah. I also love that um, this episode barely has Batman in it, yet it it it's more about. I mean, it's it does really well despite Batman not being in it, right? In that it gives you a chance to see how other characters in Gotham view him. So you see Montoya is really sad. You see Bullock, who's really broken up about it mm-hmm. too, which mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily have thought. Of course, you talked about the Joker. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you would have. Got, I mean, it's just a nice tour of like. If Batman was missing, what would everybody really think about him? And you can see how sad everyone actually is and how connected these characters really are, even if they do butt heads every now and then. Yeah, and it's um, even in that, you know, I feel like that could have almost been its own episode uh, as far mm-hmm. as like, oh, everyone thinks Batman's dead and let's see how everybody reacts. But they oh, even yeah. even there, they, they're only getting into minor characters. Like you said, uh, Montoya and Bullock, but mm-hmm. you never see... Uh, Gordon react to this. Yeah. You never see, uh, you know. I yeah. guess, you know. I guess he'd be the only, yeah. Rob, Robin, or yeah. uh, whoever. I, I I felt that Gordon was really missing too. If I could add one thing to this episode, I would have just some kind of a brief, uh, you know, uh, you know, thing with Gordon being really sad about it. I mean, the last episode with emo Batman moping about Gordon being di- dead. I mean, why not just have yeah. a little bit here too? You know, the least, the least, uh, the least they could do is have. Uh, Gordon pull out that photograph that they have of the two of them when they were on that fishing trip and just stare at it <laughs> longingly as you know something really sad plays behind it. They they're holding up a big giant six foot tall Joker fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Batman's wearing like a you know Hawaiian shirt with little bats on it. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I apologize for the coughing. Um, um, I, I one thing I really loved about this. I remember when I first saw this as a kid, I thought like, what is going on? I legit thought Batman was dead mm-hmm. or something really, really bad had happened. And that the fact that the episode spent so much time not even showing him was, like, really nerve-wracking. And then you get to the end where they're having this funeral, which I thought was perfect. And you have Joker basically throwing Sid the Squid in a coffin and dipping him into acid. Yeah, man. Um, which, in a way, like, symbolically, the Joker was born in acid. So I think what they were going for was the Joker is now going... Sid will die in acid as a way of like Joker completing the symbolic circle or sort of bringing it all back to the beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also, 
you know, again, to to talk about how this is a very uh, intense, scary and violent version of the Joker. He Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, he murders that guy. You know, Batman saves him. Sure. But like for all, you know, he's throws him into acid. And he yeah. almost dies, uh, except Batman somehow manages to save him in a way that we don't yeah. even know. <laughs> if you were Batman, you should probably grab him as the casket is on the conveyor belt heading towards the acid. Yeah. That would be your best bet. But the fact that they let it go into the acid, it goes under the acid. Mm-hmm. You see it from underwater now, and now you're inside the casket, Kill Bill style, watching the acid come. I mean, it's like crazy the amount of uh, the length they go to to really put you on the edge of your seat there. And the only thing that I think they were missing was Batman pulling a lever that, like, drains it or, like, sucks the acid into the sewer or something like that. That he basically gets set out, basically. Yeah, was he, like, was he just hanging out outside hiding and is he watching the Joker and Harley Quinn be like, come on, leave, leave, yeah. you can't jump out until God. you're gone, God damn it. Stop hanging around. Jokers talks about Chinese. Yes, go get some Chinese. <laughs> oh, my God. She pulled out the kazoo. They're going to be here for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Harley had a lot of good moments in this, too. Uh, yeah, great Harley episode. The kazoo is, is really being great. <laughs> I do have a question, though. Uh, when she gets Sid the Squid out of jail, she makes a crack at Bullock about, uh, I think yeah. I, I served you a subpoena once. Is, is that a dick joke? I think it's a dick joke, but it doesn't. <laughs> really make any sense i served you a subpoena once it was a small subpoena yeah i yeah i don't know (laughs) i'm not really sure how that is supposed to work and i guess that's why it got by standards and practices subpoena like a like a penis like a sub penis like less than a penis i don't know I also noticed that she used her name, Harleen Quinzel, when yep. she walked in. I just assume that the police know who that is. I mean... Yeah, they should. <laughs> um, apparently, this is the first time she used that name, so I think it was probably predates her backstory when they actually went oh, okay. her backstory. Yeah. Uh, it's such because a great when they, name. when they retcon it and show her as a psychologist that went crazy, because, yeah, yes. this doesn't make sense if you, if you go with that retcon, yeah. basically. I've always loved that name, though. It's such a great... Um, a, gr- yeah. a great way, a great real name to get out of Harley Quinn. Right. And the payoff is in uh, season four when she's trying to distract Joker. And she's like, come on, don't you want to ride your Harley? Vroom, vroom, vroom. Mm. <laughs> Which is the way she's kneeling down on the desk in her nightie. Because in her, the way her uh, hair is designed, it's almost like, I mean, she's basically referring to anal sex. <laughs> I mean, it could just be regular sex. I don't know why nope, it has to be I'm anal I'm pretty sex. sure it's anal. You clearly watched the scene, Clay. There's no way around it. Anal. You were really looking for anal, and you found it. It's there. You just, you know, have to s- stare at it. Don't just stare at it. Eat it, Sean. Jesus. Um. Uh. You know the the thing that I found interesting about this too. We kind of uh, uh, we got on the Riddler episodes as being kind of the same episode twice. And yeah. while I don't think this is quite the same copy, this is really kind of similar to the uh, guy accidentally drives the Joker off the road episode. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that too, which I think is another Paul Dini episode. Yeah, and it's you know it involves my favorite storytelling thing, which is consequences for your actions. And right. uh, yeah, it's very similar. It it has um, 
not quite the same structure because Joker doesn't really show up until late into the episode. But it's right. uh, it's it's both of them are. I guess the first one isn't really about. Yeah, I guess they're both about biting off more than you can chew, really. Yeah, for me, the connection, the through line is uh, a normal guy gets sucked in, accidentally sucked into Gotham and these dangerous circumstances mm-hmm. with the Joker and Batman. And you have a normal Joe, like in this case, Sid the Squid. Yeah, he was sort of starting out a criminal career, but he was basically kind of a weenie and just, you know, whatever. And then the other guy just accidentally cut Joker off on the road. He was definitely innocent. But yeah, for me, they're both like the every man gets caught into this these crazy circumstances, and the question is how how is he going to get out? Yeah, yeah, and I like that in this one. It's a guy who is uh, um, wants to be a big shot, and he mm-hmm. you know he gets what he's after, but not necessarily yeah. not in the way that he thought he was going to get it. Yeah, yeah, with the ending when he's in jail and everyone's chanting uh, chanting his name, and he feels like are, wait, are they chanting his name? Yeah, yep. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in prison, but he's kind of happy, and he feels complete now because he's not a nobody anymore, even Which, though he's incarcerated. <laughs> the, the only thing I could think of was, this is going to last about 15 minutes until everyone finds out that Batman arrested <laughs> this guy, and then bad things are going to happen to this man. Yeah, that guy, I mean, you talk about... <laughs> Let's dip back into anal sex jokes for a second. Yeah, and talk or, about or, what's going to happen to this guy, <laughs> or we could, or we could not. But uh, I think everyone understands what you're probably alluding to. We've all watched the show Oz. As the uh, you know, I noticed too when he's led into the prison, it's actually Stonegate. It's not Arkham. And yeah, they have yeah. a different angle on Stonegate. Stonegate or Blackgate? Uh, Stonegate, I believe. We we it was Stonegate. in the last episode, but I can't. I think it's Stonegate. Yeah. We mentioned it because they always have the same establishing shot. Yeah. It looks like a giant ship. And this one, it's a different shot completely. It does not look like a ship, but it doesn't look as good either. No, it didn't really <laughs> read to me at, at first either. Yeah. I, yeah. I was kind of looking yeah. at it going like, oh, I, oh, yeah, I guess that's sure. But, you know, that's actually yeah. interesting too because um, that that means it's clear that they are making a, a, a delineation between – the for lack of a better term the crazy criminals and the regular criminals which i don't yeah. think always happens you know arkham right. tends to be a catch-all for people in the batman world where it's like anybody who gets arrested by batman ends up in in arkham um yeah yeah it's a good point i uh so in my book i have arkham is permeated by the elites and there's just corruption throughout so they end up um liquidating arkham to do renovations and to just really look everything over and Mm -hmm. figure out how to like reconfigure the prison to make it work again and i needed a new place to put all these super criminals so i was trying to think of a new name for like a new arkham and i couldn't come up with anything better than new New arkham Arkham. yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i ran out of space to even talk about it so you just have a scene where they're walking into a newish facility and there's a new arkham thing in the background it you know it doesn't really matter i think the reader gets the idea arkham but i totally yeah, I totally forgot about Stonegate and how I probably could have just thrown him in there or something like that to yeah. like a new wing in Stonegate. Yeah, well, you know, given given what happens after that, it probably makes sense that they are where they are. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you know, without giving anything away. <laughs> no. um, uh, what did you think of the guy that did the voice acting for Sid the Squid? Oh, uh, I thought he was good. I like that guy. Um, he uh, that's Matt Frewer, right? 
Yeah. yeah. Afroer from uh, Max Headroom. Max Headroom. Yep. He was. Uh, he shows up in stuff all the time. He was in the remake yeah. of Dawn of the Dead. He was great in that. Uh, he's been yep. on Star Trek a bunch of times, I think. Yep. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yep. He was the neighbor. Yep. Yeah. One of my favorite TNG episodes has him as this guy, this con artist from the future who's not really from the future. Yeah, um, yeah. I've but yeah, had a, a really great one-liner. I, I remember, I know this isn't a Star Trek podcast, but it had a really the best line from Data in the entire series. Data goes, I assume the, you, the door panel will open with your fingerprint, whether you are conscious or not. Because <laughs> he needs to get out of the shuttlecraft. Yeah. I guess without context, that joke might not make sense. I, so. I assume it means that he's going to knock him out if he has to. Exactly. Yeah. That's Data's polite way of saying, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought he was good. Um, I can't remember if there was another per. I guess uh, there was a couple other people in the cast whose name I recognized, but uh, of course now I don't remember what they are. Uh, let me look them up real quick. Oh, uh, Robert Picardo. Is, yep, uh, that's right. Is another Star Trek someone. actor, uh, John yep. Vernon, of course, playing Rupert Thorne. Um, yep. And I, you know, I was I I was looking it up, and I finally saw the what the guy who plays bullock looks like and i was like oh my god it's that guy of course it's that guy he's the only guy who sounds like that and he's in like a (laughs) bunch of different he's the guy in total recall who's uh uh, arnold's buddy at the beginning uh you know on the construction site or whatever didn't never put that together in a million years oh yeah man he was in uh city slickers Mm -hmm. um yeah more that i can't even think of right now but uh yeah, I love his voice. Yeah, I wish you could. I, I mean, he looks like Harvey Bullock too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, he he he's definitely living the you know living the gimmick as they say. <laughs> um, second episode where Batman pulls the uh, throwing the shuriken into the gun barrel thing. Yeah, I wonder if that was the same animation. Do you think they used it twice to save money? No, because this one looked a lot better. It's yeah, it did. And yeah, again, I, I you know, not to completely you know, be overly uh, um, complimentary to Paul Dini because there are other people who work on this show, obviously, who are great writers and great directors. But he pulls out these little character things that are just so perfect, whether it's the Joker, you know, saying the line about without the Batman uh, crime is no punchline, mm-hmm. or in this one, when he th- after Batman throws the shuriken into the, into the gun barrel, he punches Rupert Thorne in the face and he says, that's for pulling a gun on me. Which is such a great little Batman line, uh, yeah. and then he punches him a few more times for other stuff. But like that, and his final punch is, and that's for anything I might have forgotten. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but just Batman, Batman punching him and being offended that the guy pulled a gun on him is is amazing. That's like a great piece of yeah. little char- a little piece of character. It's a writing. great shot too, because this is the first reveal of Batman being alive, and he's doing this power walk towards the camera, and as he's walking, he just throws the shuriken without it doesn't even it's effortless basically. Yeah. And really well animated, and uh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, um, but yeah, as uh, circling back just briefly to Batman's questionable strategy, um, what, at the beginning of the episode when they've got Sid the Squid is up on the roof, and then the other three guys are creeping around with flashlights down by on the docks and stuff, Batman shows up to beat up Sid the Squid, essentially only because he's making shadow puppets because there's no he's not doing anything he's just hanging around. And then, yeah. then Batman looks over, sees the other guys there, and continues to chase after Sid the Squid. Like, he sees <laughs> the guys who are actually doing the crime, and he chooses not to go after those guys. 
I thought that maybe the tactic was take care of the lookout and then take care of the bad guys. But you're right. Batman should look at this guy quickly and go, not a threat, and immediately move on to the uh, henchman. Yeah, the only the only thing I could think of was that he specifically is going after Sid to try and find out who is the person behind all of this. So maybe he's going yeah. after him because he thinks he's the weak link and can probably get the info out of him. Right. Um, but he is he is actively letting a crime happen while he does this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when Sid is hanging off the building and Batman's trying to help him up, there's a brick that gives away mm-hmm. and. Sid is squirming so much. Batman says, "Like stand still. Like I can't help you if you don't stop moving or whatever." But Batman is very flustered by this guy just grabbing at him, and then he and tells him to let go. <laughs> he's no seriously, he? yeah. He's just <laughs> scrambling, and then the the thing breaks, and he's he's holding on to him. And then at a certain point, Batman goes, "Let go." <laughs> so he was going to let that dude die. Like you don't imagine Batman fumbling around very often and that is a good example of him fumbling around and he's just like i just need to hit reset this is not going the way i imagined at all yeah <laughs> i saw these finger puppets i didn't know what to think yeah if you run <laughs> shadow uh, puppets rather yeah if you run this episode the next episode and i am the knight back to back to back you have a trilogy of like depressed batman kind of being a dick like you could kind of <laughs> yeah. read into it that he's just really exasperated with everything and is just not really taking his job that seriously anymore yeah, you know, it's got to get to you after a while, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for this one, unless you have anything else you want to talk about. Uh, no, that's it for me. Uh, I'm trying to think of something I want to draw on. I can't really... I didn't really have a good answer on this one. It's it's kind of... It's not really a flashy episode. I would probably go with uh, the the Joker throne room scene. The first shot right. of the Joker where he's sitting in the shadows uh, yeah, with the hyenas at his feet. And that whole scene is like really, you know, yeah. very uh, lit, very moody. And yeah. uh, it's fun. I like that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I, I found that um, the responses that we're getting from these podcasts, people have reached out to me and said they love when we talk about things we don't want to draw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that the uh, instead of like, what do you want to draw? If you have an answer for what don't you want to draw, sure. that's probably just as interesting to people. I would think so, yeah. Um, what don't you want to draw in this episode? <laughs> well, I was going to say a jewelry store. Okay, I can see that. But, yeah. but you know, like at first you think it's like a casino or like the, the trouble of drawing anything that has a lot of detail. But... I think with casinos and drawing signage and things that has to be measured correctly, that could be really time consuming. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a quick doodly way of drawing small diamonds and because, you know, jewelry can kind of be any shape and design, whatever you want. I don't yep. think a jewelry store would be that hard to draw. I think maybe throwing a few pieces in the foreground, like really measure out the diamonds and make it look good. And then as you get way back in the display cases, you're just drawing gobbledygook. But it reads as jewelry. Everything's a a necklace. Yeah, yeah, basically. Or earrings or, you know, like those, uh, you have like mannequins wearing things or whatever. I think that I've never tried to draw a jewelry store before, but I, I wouldn't mind trying it. Yeah, that's another one where it's kind of like, I I feel like you kind of have to make a decision about what you want a jewelry store to look like that is not yeah. necessarily what they actually look like. Because when I think of jewelry store, I don't think of a lot of stuff like hanging on the walls as much as you have or, you know, up as much as you would yeah. have it in the display cases that are kind of like down. Right. So right. depending on what kind of angle you're picking, 
it might actually be kind of difficult to make it read as a jewelry store unless you've got dis- like vertical display cases with stuff in it, you know? Right. And the, the light source might be coming from the display cases themselves. Yeah. Which means your characters are going to be bottom lit, which is very different than top lit, obviously. Right, right. Like a lot of artists, like you have like a quick set of shadows in your head that you can throw on any face if the light is above the face. But throwing the light below it kind of most artists most artists will like have to stop and think like all right wait does the shadow go on top of the nose yeah. how do the eye how do you see the eyes mm-hmm. you know you have to kind of like you know because it's just not something that you're used, you're used to doing yeah that's why i have one of my bookmarks at the top of my browser page is uh a blog a, a blog spot blog called zafino magnum opus and so i click that and i have everything he ever drew at my fingertips <laughs> and i just scroll through <laughs> Because that dude was a master of low low angle light, um, yeah. like the way that he throws a shadow off the nose upwards over the eye is just like mm-hmm. it makes me want to stop drawing. It's so good. Um, yeah. So I rip that stuff off all the time. Yeah. No, Zafino. So I have a pile of books next to my drawing table that it's kind of moving around, <clears throat> but it's it's like I have a bunch of references mm-hmm. in shelves. But if you're next to the if you're next to my desk in a pile, that means I use your book a lot. Yeah. And right now I have uh, Mignola's Dracula. Ooh, I've yeah. got uh, two Zafinos. I have Adam Hughes. Uh, what did he draw? Some Archie comic, I think. And then uh, Jazz Maynard. And, oh, and yeah, I have my yeah. own Batman stuff, only because I need to constantly open it up and see how I drew certain outfits and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you? Um, how do you handle that generally? If you've got a if you've got a, a costume design that's very specific, right? Do you hang up like ter- your own turnarounds or something? Because I've I've found that when I do that stuff, I forget what that shit looks like all the time, and I'm the person who created <laughs> it. Like I, when yeah. I was doing uh, uh, Redline, I had uh, these uh, mech suits that I had to design. And yeah. they were like wonky enough that I, I could never really remember exactly how the, ge- the geometry of them worked. So I, I mm-hmm. constantly was pulling up the pictures and be like, how's this go? Okay, yeah, I had this thing on the back. Uh, or like, do you stick to your in- initial turnaround or do you ever let it like evolve? You know what I mean? Like if the more you draw, it's like, oh, well, you know, it started out with this kind of thing ha- happening on the shoulder. Yeah. But the more I've done it, the easier it is to kind of like blend that into this piece you know so it kind of oh. evolves a little bit yeah uh, I, short answer i do not do turnarounds mm-hmm. what i i just i don't have time um, sure with writing and drawing usually i'll have an introduction panel to the character and i'll make it a, a splashy panel and so you can really see what that character is wearing and that is where i put my energy as far as like making sure nightwing looks you know really good right but then you know as i draw him from the back i'm like okay wait i haven't designed the back of him so make the back look good um and normally it gets just me what butt. i need that's just all you butt, need yeah. just make the butt look good <laughs> but uh then i'll um i'll start streamlining things and start getting better at it mm-hmm. so for example um the first time i draw the asbat costume it looks fine um but well like, the shoulder pads was, are a bit there was one thing missing from it the first time you drew it <laughs> now it looks <laughs> yeah, fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, side note, Clay was uh, insisting on putting on those sweet 90s pouches all over him. And I was Just on the it. leg. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are on there. But I originally drew Azrael as uh, having these like sort of rounded shoulder pads. 
And as I started to draw him more and more and like move him around in space and put him in fight scenes, I realized that he works way better if you make his shoulder pads pointier, flatter, mm-hmm. and more blade-like. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way I've handled Azrael, sorry, this is getting long, is um, every part of him is usually very well shat- shaded. So it's kind of vague on how he looks, but that's the design. But the things that I am focused on with him is making little bits of him very blade-like and very pointy. Um, yeah, so I yeah. honestly, like, I feel bad for the guy that's ever going to have to sculpt the 3d model of my Azrael <laughs> because it just like changes every panel, but it's kind of supposed to be that way. But you know, other characters like the GTO outfits are very specific. The stripes go here, the badge goes there. Right. But even then, like I'll forget what my own goddamn gloves look like. Yeah. And I designed them. So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Those little details can, can, uh, get lost really quickly that once, once you throw it down, cause you end up, I, I, I always, I, I always, uh, end up doing something. Something like I spend time designing like, okay, these gloves are going to be like fingerless gloves with the knuckle things and they're going to have like these uh, stripes going down the sides that are going to wrap around and you're going to have like the the, uh, uh, ribbing on the palms. And then like after drawing them three times, you don't have time to do that shit. You know, you're just you just do okay. His his hand is closed here. Okay, yeah, fingerless gloves, close enough. Uh, it's open here. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to do the things on the hand. Whatever, nobody can. You know, it's just it, it it ends up evolving. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, you asked me once about uh, you asked me this question before, and uh, I told you that when I design costumes, I try to design them very clean. Yeah, and not a lot of detail on them mm-hmm. because I find that with my art. My scribbles become the detail. Right. So I don't have a Chris Nolan-style Batman SWAT team armor chest plate. Right, right. Because I just draw him with tights, like just you know traditional animated series style. But instead of drawing pop rivets and seams and Kevlar like you'd see in the movie, I just shade his pecs and mm-hmm. his abs and his obliques. And that becomes the armor, if that makes sense. If I design really crazy, complicated costumes, it would get it would be too much because my line work is already complicated. So I try to go simple on the designs, very basic shapes, and because I know it's just going to get complicated through my rendering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the th- the number one thing that I hate the most is designing something from one angle and then having to turn it and realize that the design doesn't make any sense. Like again, <laughs> oh, yeah. with that uh, mech suit that I had to design, I designed this helmet. And I was like, ah, oh, the, the, it looks really cool from the side or from like a three-quarter angle or something like that. Because, you know, that's when you're going to see all the crap on it and stuff. Yeah. And then, I, then I, the first time I had to draw it head-on, I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know how this would work. I don't even know what this would yeah. look like. Uh, right. The same with, like, shoulder pads and stuff. If you've got, like, you know, armored shoulder pads, they look great mm-hmm. until the first time you have to have your character move their arms up. And then you have yeah. to figure out how those things sit on the body with right. from a different angle right you know the, the classic example is uh wolverine's boots you know, yes. wolverine's mask yes because it looks good if he's facing the camera but it may be if he turns sideways but it gets really hard to know what the hell you're supposed to do, do with the boots and the, the head i don't know what you call them the flares on his mm-hmm. eyes mm-hmm. as he moves around in space and it's interesting seeing artists take like different approaches um i think honestly it doesn't work from every angle, and you have to sort of move around the flares depending on where the camera is, just sort of take some creative license just right. to make it work panel to panel, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think that's about it for this one. Yeah. What would, on you, uh, what would you rate this slide. one? Uh, I, I'm going to go four, mm. like a high four. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go four. Um, 
I I think I take some a, f- a couple points off because it does feel similar to that other Joker episode, but th- <laughs> they're both so good that yeah. it's almost negligible. You know, it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't call this one like an all timer. Like it doesn't feel no. like a heart of ice or anything like that. But I think it's a very good episode and definitely the best Joker episode. Yeah, this does what Paul Dini does best. Is I feel like Paul's great with short stories, cutting the fat. Every bit of dialogue, every camera angle, every shot, every action is absolutely necessary to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. And there's very little room for error. And I think he's really good at these um, short story style, you know, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll see how good he is once he writes one that actually has Batman in it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back with Mudslide. Okay, Mudslide, story by Alan Burnett, teleplay by Steve Perry, directed by Eric Radomski. And in this one, Clayface is falling apart, literally. His clay-like body is disintegrating. Fortunately, a scientist he knew from his movie star days is working on a remedy. However, Hagen is forced to steal money to pay for the expensive components of the remedy. That is, until one of his targets is Wayne Biomedical Labs. That didn't... That could have been written better, I think. Uh, that was not the most well-written of anything. Basically, yeah, Clayface is falling apart, and he's stealing money to try and fix it, but then he's got this, there's this uh, chemical that he finds out that if he injects himself with it, he'll be able to keep his uh, uh, consistency together, and uh, yeah. he steals it from Wayne Labs. And then, okay, so following up on what I said about the last one, about Batman's strategy being questionable and him being kind of a dick, he should... So, Clayface steals the stuff, and he's going to be injected with it, and it's going to allow him to regain the uh, uh, structural integrity of his body. Batman shows up. He's not Clayface. Isn't like it's not like he's trying to regain the structural integrity of his body so he can run for president and rule the country or something or anything more insidious than that. He just wants to not melt and dissipate into (laughs) nothingness. Batman, and Batman sho- shuts it off. Yeah, Batman just shows up and he just pulls the plug. What a dick! Yeah, <laughs> yeah they could have um, had a more villainous um, and it's reason the, for why he was. It's the same uh, shit that Batman earlier in the episode was like. I offered you the chance to take that chemical, but you said no. And so now that he steals it, he's got to be a dickhead about it and stop him from right. from becoming uh, a person again. Or maybe Batman could know that the chemicals he's injecting himself with are not safe and it's not going to help him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like you that. Know? Something that doesn't yeah. make Batman just look like a dickhead. <laughs> as, as he tends to do from time to time. I, I tell you, though, I really love the animation in this one. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. There, I mean, I feel like they use the same company that did the part two of Feet of Clay. Um, yeah, Clayface is melting the whole time. There's bits of him flying off. I mean, he jumps out a window and he hits the ground, and they draw like ripple, like circular ripples in the clay, and it, that that shit can't be easy to animate. Yeah. And then at one point, Batman's fighting him in the subway, and he kicks him from behind. And Clayface slides towards the door, hits it with his head, but then suddenly his head and his ass reverse ends because he's made of clay, yeah. and he gets up and like the it's really great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a lot of T-1000 in here. <laughs> yeah, that that stuff is, I think, my favorite bit. Well, I have two favorite Clayface bits. 
the first one is in the subway when he's melting as the woman and then like just starts going from the woman <laughs> then melting into this like weird goop monster and like his head yes. is sticking to the door when he's moving and stuff that was awesome that was it great is, and his head is like leaning against the glass yep. all depressed but his neck is now four feet long yeah because he has to go from the shape of this woman into Clayface, who's got like a, his legs are a foot tall and the rest of his body is 12 feet tall <laughs> yeah that's that stuff was great and my other favorite scene was uh um when he swallows Batman and Batman is trying to fight his way out from inside. Yeah. That stuff was great. Uh, my yeah. favorite part of the episode is, is when he's like, you know, trying to kill Batman. And then all of a sudden he just goes, wait a minute. And then boom, he shoots the grappling hook up through his head from the inside. <laughs> yeah. That shit was awesome. Yeah. He's inside and Batman's head is poking out of his chest. So Clayface yep. grabs the head and shoves it back in and then like little lumps of him. And all this time's happening. Batman's not breathing. And Clayface says, yeah, I can hear his heartbeat starting to slow down. You know, almost time. And suddenly he's like, wait a minute. Boom! And his face explodes. Yep. In the bat- so he must have felt Batman move towards his buckle, pull something out, and be like, oh, that can't be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's great. The animation for Clayface is, is fantastic as usual. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the story is actually pretty nice, too. It's another one where it's like... No, I guess, I mean, Batman is in it more than he was in the last one, but it's very much Clayface's yeah. story. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, they 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 maintain Clayface as a fairly uh, empathetic villain. Um, right. Yeah. Which is, which is weird because he's kind of an asshole. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, he shits all over the people that want to help him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you in- when you introduce to him his like stand in is trying to help him the whole time who's this really sweet guy and Clayface is just telling him to fuck off the whole time. Batman's there always like hey if you need help my offer still stands. And they've got this woman who's obsessed with Matt Hagen movies. Um, she's just watching rom coms while his while this. his body dries. Yeah, Bat- apparently, Alfred apparently a big Matt Hagen fan. Yep. <laughs> Hagenites they call them. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. But I like the uh, one-way romance from this this woman, and uh, she's watching a, a movie where Hagen says like, "Oh, you didn't just save my life; you saved my heart," mm-hmm. or something like that. And then um, Clayface literally says that line to her the next two, like two minutes later, and she totally buys it. Hook, line, sinker. Yeah, like, yeah. She's got this like, she's the scientist who's also sort of in love with the idea of Matt Hagen, and he's sort of allowing her to help him while he's giving her this fake romance. But he's not even, like, creative enough. I mean, he's not even real in his affection for her. He's just sort of using her. Yeah, it's 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 nice because um, he's empathetic, but that doesn't mean he's not still a dickhead and still an asshole. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of yeah. like the way that they were going... Uh, they're a little bit more successful here with Clayface than they were with Penguin in that Penguin episode we were talking about where Pe- right, Penguin right. is empathetic to a point. I don't think right. he's that empathetic. You thought he was a little bit more empathetic than I did. But in right. this one, I feel like they really ride the line pretty well of uh, Matt Hagen being an empathetic villain but also maintaining he's not a good guy. Yeah, the the reason that Matt Hagen Clayface is empathetic and it's similar to to Mister Freeze is these guys don't want to be villains. Sure. They don't want to be criminals. They were victims of an accident and now they're stuck and they need to commit crimes for some reason to get out. Mm-hmm. So that already makes them empathetic. And in each case, you have people around them that care deeply about them. 
uh, Nora obviously cares deeply about Victor. He cares deeply about her. Yep. And with Matt Hagen, you have the his, his stand-in from the first two episodes, and then you have this woman. So even though he's an asshole and he's pushing people away, there's just so so much tragedy around them that you can't, can't help but feel bad for them because they did not ask to be put into this situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, if... if... <laughs> If bad stuff happens to a to a jerk, it's still bad stuff, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's it. That seems to be is. Would you say that that is a running theme among Batman villains? Because it feels like a lot of them that it, they're either just assholes, like the like yeah. the Riddler. The Riddler is yeah. just a smug prick. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Joker. The Joker is just kind of a, a shitty person, full stop. But well, hold on. But but Harley loves him, and she has redeemable qualities, and sure. she actually like puts a, a brighter light, uh, puts a kinder spin on Joker from time to time. Yeah, I guess not. Not in the same way as Clayface and Mister Freeze. Yeah, I. You know, he's still a shitty person. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll redact that. Yeah, I, we'll I, I know what now, I, I know what you're talking about, though, uh, uh, and you can read more about that in Batman: Curse of the White Knight. Um, but, but yeah, uh, Mister Freeze very much is a, is a victim of circumstance. Um, he he is probably the most empathetic because he's not even a bad dude. He just was, mm-hmm. you know, he got screwed and he ended up in this in this uh, uh, really yeah. um, unfortunate situation. But yeah, Hagen right. Hagen is he's just he's not a super criminal. He's just a jerk uh who yep. was trying to <laughs> not age and get old and he ended up as a giant mud monster. Right. And uh yeah, yeah I think it's it it definitely but helps. Most of the other cl- the classic villains that you talked about like Penguin wants to be a villain, Joker wants to be a villain, Two-Face had redeeming qualities like mm-hmm. i think two-face falls into the uh empathetic time to time because yeah definitely the two-face side has taken over harvey dent or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think i mean i i always prefer villains that have some redeeming quality that sure makes you kind of like them even though they're still mostly evil yeah you know i i think i think that's always th- that's always going to be uh more interesting a more interesting character because you know Otherwise, you just have like a mustache twirling villain, and right. there's no fun in yeah. that, you know. Honestly, like a good Riddler story, instead of doing the same episode twice, they should have done a reason like why he's so obsessed with puzzles, like what happened to him. You know, it's you know me, I like father son drama. Mm-hmm. So for me, yeah, his father used to beat him or lock him in a box, and he had to figure out his way out of the box. Whatever it is, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, they, but if you showed like a softer side of Riddler and why he yeah, is this they, way, they it might make him even even. Uh, I, I don't so much need a why is the Riddler the way he is kind of thing, but they could have gone mm-hmm. some uh, a similar direction to the Penguin thing. And what if they had, I mean, we should, probably should have talked about this in the Riddler episode, but um, <laughs> what if they have Riddler getting out of jail, right? And so he mm-hmm. is now, has to restart his life in, in the private sector and he ends up working like a, a, a shitty job and he's constantly thinking that, you know, he, he's being, you know, beat down by his boss who is just some uh mm-hmm. asshole uh and it's a job he can't quit because then if he quits it it'll break his parole or something like that right. he's constantly surrounded right. by people he's smarter than and then these 
things start happening and Batman immediately blames him for it because they're very they seem very Riddlery kind of, you know that kind of thing where it's you get into his personality <laughs> a little bit and how he would respond to these things instead of just being yeah. like now I have an even more futuristic game to to trap you in <laughs> yeah yeah you're right honestly I think any um eighty year old villain of Batman could give him a free a fresh coat of paint yeah. If you just do like a twist in their origin that makes them more empathetic, such that's all you need. Similar to Clayface, who uh, in the <laughs> comics there has been like six of them. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah, we talked about that the first. Yeah, time. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that until I look up Clayface, and I was like, oh, there's six different Clayfaces, and they all have weird names. Um, yeah, but uh, in this one, actually, he's he's fairly similar to Clayface three who had uh his deal was he injected himself with some of uh the original clayface's dna for some reason that i can't remember and it ends up basically melting him from the inside so he has wow. to wear a containment suit to keep his mm-hmm. body from just like melting away so right. which is more or less what happens in this one the only difference being Clayface 3's thing was that if he touched if he touched people with his mud hands he would mm-hmm. melt them and <laughs> that's wow. Yeah. And part of his thing was he had to melt people in order to survive. So if he, he was basically like a vampire, a melt vampire, uh, which Jesus is, Christ. Yeah, which is like a, that's dark. Yeah. It's like a reverse vampire where instead of sucking blood, he's just, you know, spewing goop on people. Right. Um, and he, dre- he, he looked a lot like, uh, he had a, a big cape on. He was very, very Vincent price esque looking. Uh, huh. It's weird, weird looking character. Not the best character design. He's got this like Mister yeah. Freeze type glass dome. Then he's got this big sort of gothic looking cape to look like you know the the uh, uh, Vincent Price kind of look. And then he's wearing this like. Uh, do you remember the Super Super Friends toys? You know the the original line of Super mm-hmm. Friends toys. Remember yeah. the way Mister Freeze looked, where he had that like big bulky costume on with like the piping and stuff on it. Yeah, he looks like yeah. that. So if you've got that body with like a, a, a glass bowl <laughs> full of goop wearing a cape, it's not it's not the most uh, it's not the sleekest character design Jesus. I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm not even liking your description if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to uh, I wouldn't want to see that version. I mean that that version doesn't sound very empathetic. If he's literally melting people to survive, even if it's not his fault, it still doesn't sound very empathetic. Yeah, they it's um they they seem to have taken uh bits and pieces from the different clay faces along the, along the years and turned them into uh the matt hagan yeah. version yeah um one thing i was going to mention with this is uh the end i i love the end very dramatic they're at a laboratory by the side of the, the ocean big cliff and uh the music in this episode is great yeah and uh, the the final musical swell happens as Batman and Clayface are both falling, and Batman catches himself on a rock or something, and he tries to help Clayface, and Clayface, you know, he's absorbing water, so he's starting to melt more and more, and he says something like curtains, time to close the curtains, or whatever, yeah. some, you know, dramatic thing, and he hits the water, and he dissolves. Yeah. Uh, and I love the storytelling here, because he dissolves, and you see him from under the under the surface, and you see the cloud of clay spread out, and then from the top of the surface, you see the shape of a man yep. under the water, and then the man disperses. And then the camera goes up the cliff to the clouds, and I think there's a cloud that looks like Clayface. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's really quick. It's kind of hard to see, but 
as far as I know, this episode is telling us that Clayface is fucking dead. Yes. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Which, my, ironically, we talk a lot about how, because Batman can't kill, a lot of characters hit the water when they're falling out mm. of things. And this is an example of a character hitting the water and just dying. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's pretty dark. It's a, it's a, um, it's a really bleak, uh, intense ending. And it's, um, yeah. I'd say it's probably, it's probably one of the best endings I think that they've done so far. Yeah, um, it's very it's very adult. Like I'm yeah. surprised they got away with this ending. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure if someone asks them about it, they're like, well, you know, he's a giant mud monster. He can pull himself back together. Oh yeah. Right. Speaking of Batman being a dick again, he <laughs> he tackles or I can't remember. If, uh, Clayface tackles him, and they're falling off the 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 cliff, and Batman's hanging there with Clayface, you know strapped to his leg holding on for dear life and batman says come on hagen pull yourself together <laughs> what an ass this is only happening because of him it's good advice though i mean he didn't bring clayface out into the rain i think clayface attacked him because that squeaky rubber suit wasn't quite doing the job and he just busted out and started attacking yeah batman. but all that only happened because batman shut the machine down you're right he should have just let it play out yeah, Batman <laughs> wanted for murder. As far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Also, also, you know, Batman has like a few sentences to describe how he figured the, the mystery out here. He's before this scene. He's with Alfred. Alfred mentions Matt Hagen's movies, mm-hmm. and Batman goes, "Eureka, that's it," and walks out. Yep. And next thing you see is Batman turning the power off, and he's figured everything out. And the explanation is that. Batman went through his movies, looked through the credits, found out who Clayface was hanging out with, who had medical degree, and then uh, there was some more logic, I guess, mm-hmm. shoved in there, and voila, here I am, and I'm turning the machine off. Batman <laughs> solved this problem by literally going to imdb.com. <laughs> and clicking yeah. clicking show full cast and, and crew <laughs> on, on all of the Matt Hagen movies. <laughs> Do you think that Hagen really cared for this... Uh, this woman now yeah yeah i don't think so i it, it's he you know like i said as empathetic as he is he's clearly he's still a very vain person and the yeah. only thing yeah. that he cares about is is uh is getting back into the shape he was even even once he goes into that suit that this woman has uh created for him in order to uh slow down him turning into this you know puddle of goop he gets like pissed off at her, and he's like, "I can't deal with the suit anymore." It's like, dude, yeah, she's basically. But then he uh, apologizes and recites his movie to her. Yeah, she, yeah, like, yeah. It's all, it's all, down. it's all manipulation on his part, um, right? <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, they were really going overboard with the movie based puns in this one, though, because uh, her name is Stella yeah. Bates, and they make a reference to her uh, owning a motel, and then she sold mm-hmm. the money to like go to doctor school or something. <laughs> And twice he yells, Stella! Yeah, that kind of took me out of it. They really went for it. Uh, I think, you know, (laughs) that's... Honestly, if I was writing this show, if I was writing a kid's show, that's the kind of shit that I would be writing, too, just because you got to keep it fun for yourself, and all that stuff is going to go over the heads of the kids anyway. But Yeah. Alan Burnett, he wrote this one, right? Uh, This one was... Yes. Yeah. I think he and Dini are my favorite... 
ones our favorite writers even as a kid there there i always knew that their names came up more often than not on the episodes i i really liked yeah yeah this is uh you know i i think this is well let's let's get it well let's do uh um what would you draw or what would you not want to draw <laughs> all right do you, do you have one i think um i've got two i i've got one i was just thinking of now i i definitely would want to draw the batman or the Clayface swallowing Batman, Batman busting out of Clayface sequence. Because mm, I think yeah. that would be a lot of fun to, you know, sink your teeth into as far as, you know, how you how mm. you break the panels up. You could do some cool stuff or just, just drawing Batman. Uh, like, there's even one shot where Batman, like, is trying to bust out of his chest like a like an alien chest burster, which was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be a lot of fun. The other thing I was thinking is I, I think I would take a... <laughs> I think I would revamp the suit a little bit cuz it's weird that it just like turns him into this, you know, loaf of bread essentially. That- <laughs> I had the same thought is I hate the design of that suit and uh I was listening to this episode with headphones on so I could hear everything mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was clear with the way you heard it but every time he moves there's like this squeaking oh, really? sound of like rubbing together and his inner joints and like you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, I don't think I, I just noticed that. I thought it was just hilarious. And the way that the suit makes his face looks, he looks like some like 1950s invader from Mars alien, something really, you know, not designed very well. Yeah, he looks like a like I th- I I don't know if it's intentional, maybe it is, but he looks like an Oscar statue come to life. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's supposed to be a another, you know, <laughs> for a daytime Emmy or whatever. Yeah, he looks like a daytime <laughs> Emmy. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think it's one of those things where it's like uh, there's such there's such a thing as uh, what's the word I'm looking for too um, minimal as far as design mm-hmm. goes. Like uh, remember Catwoman yeah. when they turned her into the actual Catwoman? It looked really you know. Yeah. The, there's yeah. certain you can't do you can only do a certain level of texturing in in cartoons, mm-hmm. so some stuff gets lost. And I think this was one where they maybe they could have taken a different swing at it. I don't know, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the lab itself. It was like a Frank Lloyd Wright style lab. Yeah. I like the um, the machine the he building, lays in that, the, pr- that presses him back into a human shape. Yes, yeah, that was very uh, very thirty <laughs> like a cookie like a cookie yes. cutter type thing. Or did whatever. you ever Did you ever see I um, Terminator Two came out? Yeah, uh, this was back when they used to make toys for kids based on rated R movies, and they had this. Oh, I, uh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, they I, had I this set. That was uh, this playset <laughs> that was supposed to be like the Skynet um, Terminator creation facility, where you would yep. take a endoskeleton, place it inside this mold, and then pour mm-hmm. this like gross, viscous like uh, uh, liquid latex or something on it to create yeah. the skin around it, and it was super gross. Yep. Um, <laughs> It was one of those toys that I, I asked my parents for endlessly, and then I finally got it, and I used it once, I think. <laughs> it was pretty gross and weird. Yeah, and you, you pull it out. Was it, like, flesh-colored? Yes, it was, yeah. So you had a flesh-colored T-1000 in the shape of Robert Patrick, and inside was a sweet T-1000, T-1 or whatever model. Mm-hmm. So you would peel it away. I mean, I would imagine that thing would smell like ass yes, uh, it as it came out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the yeah, gimmick man. was that it was supposed to be like, oh, you you could do battle damage, and every time you hit it, it exposed a piece of the endoskeleton. Which when they t- yeah. when they talk about that in the commercial, sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. But then when you get it, you realize because it needs to go into this mold, 
the endoskeleton can't move. Like it's not, it's just a solid. It, yeah. It doesn't have any joints, yeah. so you can't do anything with it other than have it stand there like a weirdo. Right. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah, it was not the. Uh, it was a good idea, but uh, the execution left something to be desired. Yeah. I think the best, going through in my memory, the best toys that were sort of like the feature was they could get destroyed in some way. Yeah. The best, the ones that stand out in my mind are He-Man with the chest plate yep. that if you flicked it, it would get like three sets of damages. Yep. Uh, then there were crash test dummies, oh, action those. figures. Yeah. yeah. They had giant buttons on their chest for if you hit the button, they would literally shoot their arms and legs off. Yeah, I, I took those toys like to their limit, let me tell you, because as soon as I was <laughs> like, you're supposed to destroy these, huh? <laughs> I did too, man. I don't think they were uh, play tested because I often broke them more just from blasting the plastic than I actually did hitting the actual button on their chest. Yeah, yeah. I had I had uh, two of the dummies and I had the car which crumpled up like it had uh, crumpling damage when you when you smashed yep. it into something. And I yep. I as soon as I got that I was like, this is uh, I think this should probably be sent off the top step of my house, which is about twenty feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Who saw the toy potential with those crash test dummy commercials I they used know. to have? Like that, but I bought them too. Yeah. I don't know. It just someone's like, you know what? This isn't going to last long. But there are no toys that are designed to be exploded. Like I'll this. tell Trust you, me, the kids are going to buy them. I had a great time with those toys. I thought they were a lot of fun, <laughs> specifically because you could destroy them and put them back together again. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked them too, man. And the car one was cool because they had a rubber front end, which would. Uh, accordion, but it would easily straighten itself back out, yeah. too, which was smart. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> um, the other battle damage toy was uh, Jurassic Park. The T-Rex had, like, flesh that oh, would come off yeah. on one part of its shoulder blade, yep. and that was it. Because <laughs> you only get one hit in on the T-Rex, and then you're done. Yeah, exactly. And I Unless still have um, I, I ha- uh, the Enterprise D from Generations that has the... the, the uh, photon torpedo damage on the top there's spring-loaded plates so you oh, can cool. hit a button and the thing flies off and there's like an explosion underneath and it makes a sound as yeah. though it got hit by a bomb oh that's cool i forgot about that yeah, one. Pretty are cool. there any other ones that, that we're missing what's that damage. are there any other ones that we're missing oh i'm sure there is yeah <laughs> what about the slime uh no you pour slime on something there's a green gook that you would pour over somebody what, what toy was that uh the ghostbusters toys came with slime Okay, yeah. maybe that was it. Yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of toys came with goop. <laughs> I hated those toys, man. Like I was just, I tried to keep my shit clean. I hated playing with toys in sandboxes because I wanted to make sure it didn't get wrecked. So I was that the, makes I so hated much all sense. that stuff. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what would you draw? <laughs> um. Uh, maybe uh, I like the rain scene at the end mm. when he's hanging off the cliff and stuff. And I'm a big fan of drawing rain because uh, I actually, I, as I was watching it, I thought, you know what? I think that for the finale of um, Curse of the White Knight, I'm going to have it all take place in the rain because nice. I miss drawing rain. I haven't got to do the texture for a while. So um, I'd rather draw the texture myself than let the uh, colorist go yeah. and do all that stuff for me. I think that's kind of a cheat. Can you uh, can you send some uh, some notes to Hollingsworth for when uh, Batman battles Azrael? There's a very specific look for Batman when he's lit by fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll send him some screenshots. Please do. Um, yeah, you know, if it's Batman, Azrael, uh, and there's rain everywhere, and it's dark, and there's a fire, yeah. You know, I don't see why that yeah. can't happen. But I'm going to take his pouches off first just to fuck with you. <laughs> well, 
keep the well. I mean, they'll already have been on at that point, so the damage is done. I know. Yeah, I already ruined them. I already. Yeah, it's too late for me to change anything. They're already colored. Yeah, they've already gone. They're already iconic again. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So getting into this one as as a rating, um, I'm going to give this one a very high four. I don't think I wouldn't say it's a five, but Mm -hmm. I think this is about as good as you can get without being a five. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I think. Do you think this is better than the last one? I think to, to me they're very, very close. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're very close. Um, I think the last one probably overall has a better story, mm-hmm. uh, but this one has um, a bit more pathos. I think a lot of the heavy lifting for this one is done by the animation and the ending. I think the ending's fantastic. I think it's very hard to to not appreciate yeah. that ending. Yeah, I agree. I I like. I feel like I, I like Feet of Clay as a whole better mm-hmm. because I think origin stories are always fun. There's more going on. This one's pretty straightforward, um, but considering they jam it all in oh, one when episode. Oh, when you said last one, did you mean last Clayface or the last episode, uh, like the uh, the Joker episode? Well, both. Oh, okay, so, yeah, sure. at one point I was comparing this and Sid the Squid, which I think they're about the same grade for me. Sure. But I was also sort of asking, like, do I like this episode better than Feet of Clay? Mm-hmm. And I think I I don't I like Feet of Clay better because there's just more going on there, and I'm probably I, I'm guessing I gave Feet of Clay at least a four. So yeah, I'm definitely going four on this one. Yeah, just because of the ending. I mean, the fact that they kind of killed him off, and I think the only reason they got away with it is because Clayface is not a human shape. I think standards and practices would have come down on them if you had a human body hitting the water and just disappearing. Yeah, right. But because Clayface is kind of vague what his molecular biology is, they can easily explain it away and say, oh, no, he's coming back. But they basically killed him. And I, I challenge, you should definitely go back and look at the last few frames before they roll the credits because I'm pretty sure Clayface's face is in the sky, which to me means he's dead because he's in heaven yeah. or hell. <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, like uh, uh... What the hell's uh, the the what the hell's the name of the king lion in Lion King? Oh, uh, Simba. Not Simba. Yeah, shit. His dad, James L. Jones. Yeah. Um. Mustafa, right? <laughs> Mustafa. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's like Mustafa's <laughs> face in the clouds in the Lion King. <laughs> well, that episode of The Simpsons where you have James L. Jones doing all those characters in the sky. <laughs> Actually, not him. What? Yeah, that's someone doing it. Uh, that's uh, I think it's like an impression of James Earl Jones. Yeah, I think it's um, Harry Shearer or one of those guys doing it. You know, there's a joke in there. Now we're going to go over talking about the Simpsons, but th- let's do it. There's a joke in that scene that I never got until much, much later, and it's not like the usual ones where it's just like an adult thing. When he shows mm-hmm. up, he says. Uh, um, you must something something Kimba. Uh, I mean Simba, and I never understood that before. Kimba is a kind of steak, right? No, Kimba. There's a whole backstory claiming that the Lion King is ripped off from this other cartoon. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, and the the name of the lion in the cartoon is Kimba. And there is like you can go online if you look up Kimba and the Lion King. There are like tons and tons of similarities. And wow. I, that was them taking a shot at at uh, the Lion King as ripping off this thing called Kimba the White Lion. It's a Japanese manga oh. series. Oh wow! Oh god, The Simpsons man. Even if you didn't get the joke as a kid, I knew I was getting 
high quality adult material. Oh, 100%. In the form yeah. of kid, yeah. kid friendly like, <laughs> entertainment. What other, what other cartoon show are you going to find where they're making like uh, Orson Welles jokes? You know, until yeah. until like the um, the critic came out, you there there weren't yeah. there weren't a lot of cartoons doing uh, Music Man riffs for an entire episode. <laughs> you know, yeah, I remember I bought a book um, on Simpsons episodes or whatever. I don't maybe it was a gift, mm-hmm. and they talked about the Easter eggs, and then they explained each one. And I actually, as a kid, I was able to figure out so many references that I, I had like JFK references. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I was eight when I saw that. Yeah. Like, how the hell was I going to get that? Yeah, like some of the shit I don't even think my parents understood. Yeah, there, there's a uh, um, every now and then something I'll see something and I'll and I'll go, oh, I finally get that Simpsons joke now. <laughs> it still happens. There's so much stuff that they pulled from that I still. It actually happened recently. I can't for the life of me remember what the hell it was, but uh, it yeah. was one of those things where I was like, oh, I finally, I finally get that joke now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it happens to me too, man. Well, do we uh, do a take a break and do a Simpsons or something? I don't know. Yeah, every now yeah, and we'll then. do. Uh, we'll uh, we'll <laughs> take a break between seasons two and three and do uh, all twenty five <laughs> seasons of The Simpsons. <laughs> I stopped watching it season twelve. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's where I think most people stopped. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's going to do it for us for for today. Uh, next time we are going to be back with uh, Paging the Crime Doctor and Zatanna. If you like the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that on Twitter. Uh, our po- Jeez. If you like the show. <laughs> Got that? <laughs> if you like the show and you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that through Twitter, where our Twitter name is at Badass Podcast, at B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast. Shoot us an email at badasspodcast at gmail.com, B-A-T-T-A-S-S podcast at gmail.com. If you like the show and you want to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. We have T-shirts, too. Did you know we have T-shirts? No, I did not. Yeah, we have uh, – uh, if uh, if you go to the uh, our Twitter page, the pin tweet is a link to a T-shirt where you can get a sweet purple T-shirt with the badass logo on it if you want to uh, you know, wear that to your next funeral or bris or something. Um, just to show everybody how cool you are, and uh, yeah, isn't a bris isn't a bris when they like cut your dick off? <laughs> right. Wait, what's a bris? Isn't that like a circumcision or whatever? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> That's gonna do it for us, I think. Um, we'll be back. Thanks for coming by. We'll be back next time with Peyton. Wait, seriously, what's a, what's a, what's a bris? <laughs> you, you got it on the second one. It's it's. it's <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you Google that one yourself and, and do the research. We won't have to waste any more time on that. All right, then. we'll see you next Thanks time everybody. with paging the doctor and paging the brist doctor or the Moyle and Zatanna. See you guys. <laughs>